There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Welcome back to the show. A big thanks once again to, well, an MMA legend in the shape of Alistair Overeem. He joined us for the past 20 minutes or so. He is over here flying the flag for all things at UFC and, of course, an awful lot of excitement surrounding that particular promotion as we head into UFC 242 Abu Dhabi is the host city, is the host venue for 242 and it will be Khabib Nurmagomedov going up against Dustin Poirier. I'm looking forward to that one. Have you got your tickets yet, Matthew Fortune? Do you know, do you know what, Chris? I would any other time, but I'm actually going to be in England for oh, schoolboy. the second day of the Ashes at Old Trafford. Oh, okay, I'll let you off. Which is ju- just about acceptable, but typical. The one of all the days I could have chosen for the cricket, it's the one weekend that there's something happening over here in the, the sports voice world. of Matthew Fortune, former deputy sports editor of the Mail Online. Alex Brune alongside he today as well, the man who was for five years media manager for the Springboks, and they're in action a little later this evening. We'll build up to the rugby championship this hour. He was also media manager for the British and Irish Alliance. And I'll ask you that same question, Alex. Got your tickets for UFC 242 yet? Uh, no, I haven't got my tickets. Listen, I, I do admire the athleticism of them, and certainly I worked at Sport 360 for a while, yeah. and uh, we were just mentioning Alex Ray there, who's the, the great UFC expert there. But listen, it's uh, it's not the sort. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to turn it on and watch it. I, I do find it. I mean, the athleticism is, is is great, but it's just not a sport that there's so many different sports to choose from. I guess I choose my interests so elsewhere. So you're, what you're saying is that Alistair isn't a real sportsman. Oh, Alistair, let's bring him back in for a <laughs> second. <laughs> no, listen, I certainly is certainly is an athlete, a very very powerful athlete. But I guess I. I guess I like to see the more uh, non-contact sports. Okay, fine. So as in Alistair's words, you just stick to the cricket, then Alex, (laughs) and the rugby as well. But uh, we'll keep your thoughts coming in on 4001. Just want to touch on the netball because we've had a message in and a South African out there is absolutely gutted. We were telling you a little earlier, the first semi-final in this Netball World Cup a little earlier today, it was South Africa going up against Australia and it's Alex Bruin and his boys and ladies who are smiling. Yeah, listen, I can understand and uh, the South African fans being completely gutted because South Africa were brilliant. I mean, they were written off totally before that match, given no chance at all against the high-flying Australians. They'd had a very poor loss just coming into the into the match. They got back to 50-49, to 49, only one point behind Oof. with just three minutes to go. And all the momentum was with South Africa. But Australia, you just saw them say, hey, calm it down, cool it down. We're still in it. We've still got this game. We've still got it. They just... Uh, from the, they went forward from the next one and scored, and then they moved away to win. Just a couple of mistakes from South Africa in the last two minutes. But tragic for South Africa. They played really, really well. And Australia into that final. They await the winners of the second semi-final between England and New Zealand. There's football ongoing as well. The new football season kicks off next month. Of course, a lot of teams preparing. I say a lot of teams. All the teams preparing. A few matches on down here at Kickers as well. One of those matches is Wolves against Manchester City. This the final of the English Premier League Asia Trophy and we likened the two kits earlier to fruit salads for those of you out of the UK that remember that little two pence sweetie it's the fruit salads versus the blackjacks it is indeed Chris and it's a little bit like a rotten fruit bowl this game unfortunately (laughs) there is not a great deal to report a a vast amount of substitutions as you would expect at this stage of preparations but no one has troubled the scorers either at the Manchester City or Wolverhampton game and a glance over to uh, Singapore where Manchester United are playing into Milan both games about 70 minutes gone Zero goals from either. Oh. A very pre-season feel to these yeah. ones. There was a result earlier today as well. Newcastle under new management. We spoke about Steve Bruce earlier in our broadcast. They defeated Manuel Pellegrini's West Ham United by a goal to nil. So they t- at least take some crumb of comfort from the fact that they have won a game in pre-season. And Steve Bruce now will head back to the UK and try and prep the boys over the course of the Did next I three weeks. I think they beat West Ham 4-1 earlier as well in pre-season. Did oh, they it's not? West Ham who were playing today. They got absolutely pumped 4-0 by Wolves in a couple of days back. You've mixed and matched is what you've done, Matthew. There's the reason I get paid the big I'm just looking for some drama bucks. on the football field, Chris, <laughs> after what I've had to be put through I for mean, the last listen, hour or so. I, I don't know how City aren't winning this match because they've certainly dominated about 80% of the ball as they normally do. All the chances, all the opportunities, but somehow Wolves have held on. And uh, I don't know, it's probably going to go to extra time if they play extra time or it might go straight to penalties. Super over. 
Is that what you want? <laughs> you want a super over? I love it. The two, your two best players lined <laughs> up against each other across this massive pitch. And they'll, they'll each score 15, and it'll be more shots on target from the first 90 minutes that will end up winning the match. Is that how we're going to work it now? I just want to give you a quick update as well. The Open Championship, the 148th Open Championship. I told you earlier, and it still remains the case because the guys are not going out until 10 to 7 local time. The two leaders, JB Holmes and Shane Lowry, both of those men on 8 under par. They go out at 10 to 7. At 20 to 7, just 10 minutes earlier, it will be Tommy Fleetwood going out with his compatriot, his English compatriot, Lee Westwood. The man on the move as things stand, however, rolling back the years, and Robbie Greenfield, wherever he is, will be delighted with this. Ernie Else. Whoa, the big easy. <laughs> Two under through Goodness three today. Me. He's moved up to four under par, has Ernie Else. So Ernie. keep an eye on him because that is a wonderful start by the Big Easy. He's now within four of the leaders and also on the move today Danny Willett he's two under through five he's moved to three under par Torbjorn Olison he's one under through two he's also moved on to three under par as has Thomas Peters one under through two for the big Belgian bomber and uh, so all these individuals making their move on moving Saturday John Ram he's getting underway his round in approximately 35 minutes so we'll keep you bang up to date with what's going on from an open championship standpoint it is also, when we're talking to Alistair Overeem in the world of MMA, it's a big night of boxing action, and you've got a bit of breaking news for me, Matthew, Ooh, I do regarding indeed, a certain Vasily Lomachenko. Absolutely, Chris. I mean, this one is not necessarily breaking if you've been following the story. For the best part of a couple of months, it's been rumoured, but we finally have a date for Vasily Lomachenko, his professional debut in the United Kingdom. He has fought at York Hall as an amateur, but he will go up against the Olympic silver medalist Luke Campbell, an awkward southpaw, Campbell, a very, very nice chap, I hasten to add. You and I have spent yeah. some time with him. He's had a tough few years as Campbell, the British Hope. He's a whole native, fights well, awkward, uh, lost his last world title fight. That was again Jorge Linares, maybe two, two years, years ago. ago yeah. He got put on his backside at the start of the second round, did Campbell, but then against a fighter who I like a lot, Jorge Linares, who was blown away by Lomachenko about a year after that. Campbell fought back well. I thought, actually, and a lot of people did, that he might have edged that fight. He actually probably lost on virtue of the fact that he had that point taken off in the second round where he went on his backside. It then emerged after that that Campbell had gone through the tragic circumstances of losing his dad about three weeks before that fight. Incredible that he even managed to climb into the ring. We talk a lot about mentality today. That is something that, that is really, really impressive of Campbell. He's taken his time to come back, fought on undercards, has won his last three fights. He was on the Anthony Joshua undercard against Povetkin back in September. A very impressive performance there. Won again about six months ago, but this Lomachenko, a big, big, big challenge for Luke Campbell. But seeing him in London at the O2, 31st of August will be fascinating. Lomachenko, for my money, for most people's money, pound for pound, best fighter on the planet he right now. He is pound for pound, no doubt about that. Just 14 professional fights for Vasily Lomachenko. They call him the Matrix because, and it, honestly, and you were saying there, Alex, not a fan of the combat sports. You've got to check this kid out, though. Vasily Lomachenko. He throws punches from angles that you just <laughs> genuinely you don't think are humanly possible. He is an absolute masterpiece in that boxing ring. It's phenomenal to watch. I mean, it's one of those things, we, all, we, we laugh and joke when you see big heavyweights like Tyson Fury ducking and weaving, but Lomachenko, like Chris says, just does things that defy yeah. not so much gravity, but Logic. He'll, he'll, exactly that, he'll switch stance, he'll step around, he'll come from wide with a big left foot, but he'll move so quickly. It's absolutely remarkable. Be interesting to see him against the Southpaw. I'd quite like to. Obviously, this, this news has only just been properly confirmed. I want to dig in and see what he's like against Southpaws because Southpaws are awkward because you've got to consider your angles a completely different way. So interesting to see how he comes against that. But that's a box office fight. That really, really interesting. I can hear my missus listening to the show. She might be the only one doing that, but she's screaming <laughs> at the radio right now. Southpaw, what is it exactly? Sorry, so Southpaw, the, there's two stances in boxing. Well, there's, there's probably a few. One of them is definitely not square on. <laughs> <laughs> but the two most conventional ones are orthodox, which is where you lead with your left, southpaw leads with your right. So your, your sort of big power shot is your second hand. So I, I, in my very, very limited boxing experience, fight orthodox with my long levers. I have my left arm always out and then my big right, essentially. A southpaw will do opposite. And what that means is that the lead foot of both fighters 
often get tangled with one yeah. another. I've sparred against a couple of southpaws and it is, it's just annoying. It doesn't matter even if they're not a very good fighter or, or less good than I should I say. It's just incredibly frustrating because you, like I say, your angles are different constantly. So imagine if you're, if you're squaring up a lefty against a lefty, an orthodox fighter against an orthodox fighter, there's space between your lead foots, between your lead hands. You can get round the big levers. With a southpaw, it's a bit too close, it's a bit too awkward, it's a bit too uncomfortable. And Campbell's good. Campbell's got serious pedigree. He's from that great uh, 2012 Olympic group uh, from England. Yeah. That, of course, Anthony Joshua is triumphant. And he's a really, really good fighter. He's come through a lot. He's maybe slow burned. He opened his own gym in Miami that just took him away from, I think, the, the, the issues, obviously, with his family, the upset that that would have caused, and has really tried to hone his craft. I think it will be a big ask for him. My money, and it's no disrespect to Campbell, will still be on Lemachenko because I think we're looking at a fighter of a generation. That now. is August 31st. That one, pencil that in the diaries. That is going to be an absolute belting fight. There is one a little closer to home, and I say closer to home, meaning <laughs> in we, the are diary. Are we, are we nipping over? As opposed to, well, more on that, in just a moment in actual fact but Manny Pacquiao is in action yeah. he is fighting Keith Thurman tomorrow morning our time yeah it's due at about 11 o'clock Las Vegas time so we expect that about 6-7am in oh. the UAE time I need to be up early to watch that one tomorrow well if you haven't moved house recently Chris I'll be knocking on your door yeah, let's, let's not talk about that on radio it's too painful <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about the fight though Pacquiao who's the kind of I guess favourite in this one well, is it Thurman this is a curious one because Pacquiao there's a 10 year age gap yeah. between these two fighters For, Thurman is a good fighter, absolutely. 29, undefeated. He's still got that O, 22 KOs, a decade younger. It's a funny old sport. We were talking there with Alistair about when do you know your time is up. I'll tell you one person who doesn't know when his time is up, and that is Manny Pacquiao, <laughs> 41. And one of these brilliant quotes, and you, I mean, you don't always forget. He's a senator. Yeah. He's a government senator, <laughs> and Thurman talking today. Manny isn't going to do anything with those little T-Rex arms. He's about to get <laughs> beat up. I get to punch a senator in the face, and then he's going to feel it. I think that's great. You, you sort of forget that he's managing this. He's managing being the most famous Filipino on the planet. He's managing the hopes of a nation, a guy that's been at the top of his craft for the best part of 20 years, and is still churning out fights. We'll come on to news the fact that he might even have another one lined up already. But Thurman's a big puncher, known as one-time, Keith one-time Thurman, got a phenomenal right hand, and I think it's going to be tricky for Manny, but there's absolute confidence easing out of that camp. Between Freddie Roach and, and Manny Pacquiao, they've been together for so long, they just know how to get yeah. it done. He's definitely not as slippery as he used to be, for sure. But I do think he's probably slippery enough to come up against a fighter who has been out for, not out, sorry, was, has been ravaged by injury, spent almost two years on the sidelines trying to nurse his way back. He's a good fighter. I just think the romance of it, of seeing Pacquiao at 41 still claiming world titles, that will be interesting tonight. I'm looking forward to I'm it. I'm looking forward to it as well. And you rightly alluded to the fact as well that Amir Khan, who was over <laughs> in Saudi Arabia last weekend. Last weekend? Last weekend, yeah. Last weekend. But uh, Billy Dib, a man who both men we've had on this show over the course of the past few years. Some suggestion that Manny Pacquiao and Amir Khan could head back over to Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, November 8th. Khan came out originally to say, deal is done, it's been signed off. Within a matter of hours, Manny Pacquiao's camp came out to say, load of old nonsense, we've not signed anything. Where's the truth to this? The funny thing with Amir Khan, Chris, you and I, in our very early stages of our friendship, met Amir Khan at a gym in Dubai. Yes. What was it? I can't even remember. At Sunset Mall it was, it was, was it not? And Khan was there, the special guest, opening up this facility, talking then about a big money fight in the Middle East with Manny Pacquiao. Khan knows how to talk himself into good purses. I mean, take nothing away from him. Two-weight uh, two world champion, I believe, yep. an Olympic silver medalist, one in Vegas, one in New York, great, great fighter. The fact he's pursing five million, seven million quid from the job that he just did last week amazes me. And it's almost a sign what he's now saying about Manny Pacquiao in the week before Pacquiao has got his own business to attend to Khan speaking out of turn really if that deal is done it is professional not to yeah. even talk about it it's massively disrespectful to Thurman it's massively unsettling for Pacquiao and his team to then have to answer questions about something else that's going to happen in the future and I think that's why Khan has never really solidified himself as a true great because he just gets things wrong. He behaves inappropriately. There was a whole lot of personal life stuff that made front pages of newspapers. He just says the wrong thing often and talks up things that he shouldn't really be talking up. 
obviously, as a, as a boxing fan, as a sports fan, the idea of Manny Pacquiao coming up against Amir Khan in this region is really, really exciting. So what you need, we go back to messaging that we were talking about earlier, let's deliver that news in the right way if indeed it's going to happen. You don't need Amir Khan throwing away a quote to a UK website that it's already on the table because I think now Pacquiao is going to be looking at that and thinking, I'm not sure I want to deal with this unprofessionalism, to be honest, and it may well be that he's backed out. Yeah, Amir Khan, it's my goodness. The fact that he is still churning it out and the fact that he's still making big, big money, there was no doubt that he has been, and you're right to point that out, Matt. He's wanted a Middle East fight for a long time. I always felt with the Coca-Cola Arena coming on board yeah. that maybe it would be here in Dubai. Unfortunately, it does seem that the money is in Saudi Arabia and they are building something over there, the 2030 vision, of course, for the kingdom, and that Amir Khan and Manny Pacquiao if there is to be a fight I'll read in between the lines there is going to be yeah, a fight you're probably right. it does look as if it will be Saudi and not here in Dubai I mean, and it's an interesting one you need only see what Manny Pacquiao's arrival in the region to play a basketball match for a couple yeah. of minutes does to the local yeah, audience right. here I mean for anybody you can just uh, you want to steer well clear of City Walk if that fight goes down there on a Friday night <laughs> that's for sure because that place will be roadblocked I mean if it happens brilliant and that's why I'm sort of loath to criticise Khan really because he does make a great noise for the region he's a great champion of Dubai of Saudi Arabia he handled himself very well in Saudi last week it would be great if it would happen but let's see let us see indeed I want to get to the rugby championships we're going to do that in just a moment Alex is champing at the bit so he is to discuss the rugby championships two matches tonight cannot wait for them the first of those incidentally is starting in just uh, just under two hours five past seven it is South Africa going up against Australia then it's the RGs against the All Blacks before all of that though we've got a goal in one of the friendlies it's the first time I've done this in the new season we've got a goal Matthew Fortune's got the details <laughs> so I get the cue the, do I get the noise go on Benji come on just Benji because it's the first one there it is <laughs> I mean, it's not nearly as exciting as that <laughs> queue-up would allow me to believe. Uh, but, Chris, good news for your boys. Coming off the bench, young Mason Greenwood, another one of those young players that might be looking at opportunities this year. He has put United up, 76 minutes gone, 1-0 United over Inter Milan. Yeah, I'm just watching it here. It's a fine goal as well from Mason Greenwood. 70, 17 years of age is Greenwood. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has talked him up as being a potential starter for that opening match of the season against Chelsea. He is a supremely talented young man and a very natural finisher and it's a great goal as well. At the back post, a free kick whipped in, it comes to Greenwood, he shifts oh. it onto his left foot and then just bends it into the oh, far corner. Uh, a fine finish that. A 17-year-old kid to show that wherewithal in that tight a space on the corner of the six-yard box and take the time to shape it into that bottom corner, Chris. One to watch. Yeah, one to watch indeed. When we come back we're talking all things rugby championship can to get alex's thoughts on what's going on with the aussies and aussie side without israel Folau. all that to come stay with us Unbelievable goal! this is the grill live from kickers sports bar where the game is always on yeah welcome back to the show myself chris mccarty joined by matt fortune and alex brune we are with you through for the next 40 minutes or so a big thank you for your company with us today just keeping an eye on the golf for you of course it is the 148th Open Championship over there in Northern Ireland I was getting a little giddy a little excited earlier Ernie Els was on a tear he was two under through three and it's the old journalist curse once again because he went on to bogey his fourth he's back at three under he is five off your leaders who go off at ten to seven this evening the American JB Holmes and the Irishman Shane Lowry. I want to talk Rugby Championship because it kicks off. It is the final international tournament before the World Cup. Cannot believe it's a World Cup year. Rugby it certainly Championship is. is late, isn't it? Well, it always is, but... Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's a very, very uh, shortened Rugby Championship this year. There's, a, there's not a lot of matches. There's only Each team is only playing three games, and then there's also one extra uh, Bledisloe match. But starting today, uh, South Africa versus Australia at one of the great rugby stadiums on earth, Ellis Park. Have you been? Obviously. I've been there. Listen, I had the great pleasure of being there in 1995 at the oh. Rugby World Cup final, which still remains one of the great uh, matches, of course, in, you in were rugby there, history. Alex. Were you in a, an official capacity? I was there working uh, in, in the media then, covering the tournament for some papers in Australia. 
Australia on a radio station in Australia. And, of course, to see Nelson Mandela walk out in the number six jersey, it's one of the most iconic moments in, in world sport, in, in world history. And, of course, the great man who was playing that day was James Small, yeah, who had the incredible challenge of keeping Jonah Lomu quiet. And with a little help from Yapi Mulder <laughs> at outside centre, he managed to do that. And, uh, and James kept him quiet. Jonah didn't score on the box one. And very sadly, James passed away just this week of, of a heart attack in South Africa, which is very sad. He was a great rebel, a great character. He was always his own person, James, and he never changed. He, he always was someone who stood up for what he believed in, and he lived his life on his own terms, and uh, it's a tragic that he's passed away. Absolutely. Couldn't have put it better myself, James Small, who passed away earlier this week. Just on the subject of South African rugby, you lived there. That was your life, 95 through to 2000. What do you make it of all in terms of South African rugby right now? Good place for you, Alex? Or are you looking at it thinking, there's still work to be done? Listen, this massive problem for South African rugby is essentially the worthlessness of the RAND. Uh, I mean, yeah. unfortunately, when I was there, gosh, it was probably worth maybe 10 times than what it is now. And so what's happening is a lot of players, especially young players, are looking to leave and are leaving very early. They're leaving very young. So, you know, we were talking last week about how... Western Provost wants to feed a club for clubs in France. So they're picking up young players at the ages of 18 or 19 and taking them over to France, and there's more like more chance you'll see them playing for France in three or four years than you will see playing for the Springboks. But if I can run through quickly the team for the Springboks playing tonight against the Wallabies, because it's been described as a B team by the Australian media, Australian media is getting very excited. The Wallabies <laughs> are going to do it. Michael Checker going back to the World Cup final. Yay! No, I can't see it. So they've labelled this Bok team a B team. But if you look at the side, and what's really, really interesting is Rassi Erasmus, who I was very privileged to work with during the box for a, a number of years, a wonderful player himself, a wonderful flanker himself. Rassi's picked eight uh, non-white players, which is really interesting because it's, it, that's the most team players I can remember in a starting lineup, which is really interesting because, of course, the transformation in South African rugby is very, very important. Yeah. He's picked eight you know, coloured and black players, which is fantastic, absolutely fantastic. So you've got Warwick Galland at fullback. You've got the wingers from the Sharks and Kosi and Mpimpi. You've got a big, big centre pairing. Jesse Creel and Andre Esterheisen, who are going up against Samu Karevi and Tavita Kurundani. That is going to be a massive smash-up yeah. in the middle of the field. You've got Elton Jan Jantes at, at fly-half, Yankees at fly-half, and also very interesting young scrum-half, Herschel Yankees who's a brand-new player from the Stormers, come from nowhere. They'll be making up the scrum half pairing. And then a big, big pack of fours. You've got uh, uh, the Beast uh, and Trevor Nyukani are the props. Uh, uh, Mbongi Mbomnani is uh, the hooker. Then a huge lock-forward combination, Eben Estevez and Lou Diaka. I mean, they're going to win a lot of line-out ball, but it's the back row that's so impressive for the box. You've got Reinhard Elstadt, Peter Steff de Toy, and Francois Lowe. That is a fantastic back row. So how anybody in their right mind can describe this as a B team is completely completely beyond me. The, the Wallabies have not won at Ellis Park for about 40 years. It's altitude, and right? It's at altitude. And they're certainly. And listen, it's very interesting. They went over there for two weeks. Yeah. Um, they've been over there for two weeks and actually a very interesting story, a funny story. Taniela Tupo had his phone stolen. They were in Sant and basically walking around and somebody came up with a knife and basically nicked uh, Daniela Tupo's phone. And being a, the Australian that he is, he chased him. He chased him. <laughs> so he got robbed on the streets of Joburg and then he's chased the robber and he's tried to reach into the car to get the phone back oh and the guy goodness. slashed him. So he's walked away with a, with a cut on his arm, basically. So, um, you know, that's a little bit of a side note. But they've been over there for two weeks, but I know why Czech has taken, over them, uh, taken them over there. It's got nothing to do with getting acclimatisation. He wants to get them away from Australia. He wants to get them away from the whole Israel Folau circus that just keeps going on and on and on and try to get them to concentrate on the rugby. But it's a, listen, it's a very odd... Listen, I know the Wallabies very well. I've had the great pleasure of, of working with a lot of these players, covering these guys in the media, and they are great guys. They're absolutely great guys. G give us an insight, if you can, Alex. What has... I mean, the Israel Folau story is, is one that a lot of people will be well-versed with. It has made headlines, not just in Australia, it's made headlines across the globe. He is taking Rugby Australia to court, essentially. Where is the team at on this one? He, without a shadow of a doubt, if we look at Israel Folau, the rugby player, the best player? Listen, oh, certainly he's one of the greatest rugby players on earth, if not one of the greatest. I mean, just before this whole drama blew up, he set the new record for tries in Super Rugby. He's a player who's well-respected in New Zealand, who's respected in the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, listen, he could have walked into any club in the world and got five million a year. I mean, he's a fantastic, fantastic rugby player. But sadly, you know, he made some very, very... Uh, uh, 
inappropriate remarks. Yeah. And as a, someone who's a rugby leader himself, a community leader himself, Australian rugby could not allow them to stand. They could not allow them to stand. They could not back him. It was his second warning, and rightfully so. He was suspended. His contract was ripped up. But now, of course, he's going to going to take Australian rugby to court for free speech. And he's managed to amass a $2 million Australian fighting fund, which has been donated to him by people who supposedly wow. believe in what he believes, uh, to fight them in court. So it's a complete... He wants to try and get Australian rugby $10 million from Australian rugby. How much does this fracture Australia? How much does this bring the team together? I mean, what's your, what are your insiders Listen, telling it's, you? It's, it's one of the biggest controversies that's erupted in Australian society for the last decade or so. And you've got people backing Israel Folau, like Alan Jones, who are getting right behind him. You've got people on the other side who are coming against him. So, you know, the right-wing journalists or... Uh, People with opinions, Alan Jones, Miranda Devine, those people are behind him. But they're just doing it because they want to whip up the yeah. frenzy. They want to try and get people reading their column. They want to get people watching their shows. So that's why they're doing it. That's why they're behind him. And Israel is just kind of caught in the middle of it. He's riding this wave. And he wants, I don't know what he wants, but if he gets $10 million from Australian rugby, he will kill Australian rugby. It will be the end of Australian rugby. And I can tell you the Wallabies are split. Because you've got are a lot really? of oh, absolutely, you've got a, a lot of Islander players there, like uh, Samuel Korevi, who are actually tacitly, you know, they support Israel, and they may not have his extreme views, or they would not voice his extreme views, but they like Israel and they trust Israel, and they're also very deeply religious people, as a lot of Islanders are. So for them, they're not going to come out and, and slam no. Israel or attack Israel. And there's already a split in the Wallabies between the non-Islanders and the Islanders, which we saw last year, because the Islanders feel that there is one re- there is one rule for them and another for the other players so there's a big big issue there so, so Michael Checker not only is he trying to, to win a rugby match he's trying to unite a split camp as well he is and that's why he's taken the team over there and he's trying he's made Samu Karevri his vice captain you've got Michael Hooper there who is again a, a great young man a great young player he's going to do his absolute best but the reality is you look at that team you've got Reese Hodge on one wing Dane Hallett Betty on the other Thomas, Tom Banks at fullback you know, it's, it's, it, they're not going to win anything, you know. And there's certainly, I mean, there's this dream that they're going to go on a run to the World Cup final. They, their first match in the World Cup is against Fiji. And there is every single chance that Fiji will beat them. They will not beat Wales and the Wallabies will be out before, before the quarterfinals. And they're, you know, a greater bunch of young guys as they are. Nick White's come back from Exeter. He's going to make a bit, a bit of an impact. But again, Czech has finally got rid of the Tars because he's obsessed yeah. with the Tars. And he's got rid of the Tars finally. But you've got players in there who are very untested at international level. They're great young guys. Falau Fainga, he's going to give his best. But, you know, is he going to be able to stand up on that world stage and perform? Who wins tonight then? I think the box win. I mean, the box are the favourites uh, with the bookies, and I think the box probably win by 15 points. I think they're going to smash them in the forwards, absolutely smash them in the forwards. Falau Fainga, tremendous pressure on him, tremendous pressure on him on the lineouts. You're going to get Ludiaka, Ebenezer Betts trying to disrupt all the lineouts. Yeah. You've got a very big scrum uh, box. They've got a strong scrum. They've got a strong midfield. Got some pace out wide, and so I think the box win it by 15. If this goes awry for Australia, and I mean really awry, if they lose their three matches, the extra Bledisloe Cup matches, well with New Zealand there's no suggestion that Cheka isn't the coach of the World no Cup no way I mean there's, you've got to remember it's, it's only two months away yeah, now the World Cup it's, it's so close now the World Cup it's, and there's, there's no place it's just, and even they get 50 or 60 nil they're, they're still going to play and um, Cheka's done and dusted and listen well Cheka has said that unless he wins the World Cup if he wins the World Cup he'll stay on but if he, if he doesn't win the World Cup he'll step down nobly from his position but listen they're already around talking to people about trying to find the next coach the word is from Australia it's going to be Rob Baxter yeah, the Exeter, Exeter coach that's the word and I think that's a pretty shrewd appointment I think he's done an amazing job with Exeter with very minimum resources You're right. so I think he comes in there maybe bringing in some people like uh, uh, Laurie Fry who's done such a brilliant job uh, with the uh, sorry Laurie Fisher, who's done a brilliant job with the Brumbies. So they bring in some people around there and uh, and they start to rebuild Australian rugby over four, four years. But the whole culture there has to change. Uh, and it's really sad to see such a great nation. And Australia is a great rugby nation. We need to remember that. Australia won the Rugby World Cup in 1991 yeah. and 1995. Yeah. And some of the greatest ever players are Wallabies. John Eels, George Gregan, Tim Horan. You know, you go on about these wonderful, wonderful players. David Campisi. And it's really, really sad to see Australian rugby fall on such a low ebb. What about the All Blacks? Because there's a feeling amongst many, certainly the, the kind of people that I speak to follow the rugby closely, a feeling that maybe, just maybe, this year will not be their year from a Rugby <laughs> World Cup standpoint. I don't know if that's hope or if that's just... I'm not quite sure where that's founded from. With yeah. Ireland, with Wales, 
South Africa, England, of course, will be there or yeah. thereabouts. They're in Argentina tonight. 10, Listen, past it's, 10. yeah, it's just, it's the sort of hope that I used to have. Years ago, <laughs> I used to hope that the All Blacks would lose, but they just won't. They are just an absolutely magnificent side. And if you look at the team that they've got out there in this, yes, yeah, okay, you can say it's a B team. I think he does some strange things, Steve Hansen as coach. I think he also says some very strange things. Yeah. Talking about messaging, I think he creates a bit of a sideshow around his team that he shouldn't, that he doesn't need to do. But if you look at the team that they've got on, on, the, on the field tonight, it's, it's still a great team. It's still a great all-black side. And when you've got players like Brody Retallick out there, you know, you've got Ngani Lamape and, and Anton Leonard Brown in the centres. It's just a fantastic side. You know, you've got people like Braden Enor who are just coming into the all-blacks now. You've got Dane Coles back. Yeah. One of the greatest hookers. You know, we've all forgotten how good Dane Coles was because he was out for a while. But Dane Coles is back there. They're such a great team. They're such a great culture. And I had the great privilege about 10 days ago of talking to Richie McCaw. You know, and just what he, the pain that he went through in 2003 and 2007 when they had those losses and they went through a great period of soul searching. They won the World Cup in 2011. They coasted it in 2015. They had one tough game against the box when Dan Carter came through. But listen, if anybody beats the All Blacks in Japan, they will greatly earn that. I can't see Ireland doing it. I saw, I thought Ireland could, but I don't. I think they're too tired now and relying on the same players. England are going to be interesting. England are going to be really, really interesting. Argentina, you make them dark horses? Listen, I, I, I love what the Jaguares did in the in the Super Rugby, and it's really interesting. They've made Pablo Matero captain now, or Gustin Creevy is not the captain anymore. Matero is a big, strong player. He's going to be... And their forwards are good. You've got uh, Sanchez back there at number 10, who's going to make a difference. But they just, I don't think, have the... the the quality at that level to go deep in the tournament. So I think it's the World Cup is still the All Blacks to win. Argentina, though, today in their match, they're at home, which I always think helps. It gives them a, it's a bit of a leveller when you're going up against the All Blacks, but you still expect the All Blacks to win tonight? It's a funny thing with Argentina at home. They seem to, sit, to, to see it as a tremendous burden, and they actually do better away. So they beat South Africa in South That's Africa right. before they beat, the, you know, and they actually get closer to the All Blacks in New Zealand than they do to them at home. So, I mean, I was, uh, a number of years ago, I was very lucky to go to a box uh, versus Argentina match at River Plate. It was at that oh. huge, oh, you know, 80,000 people there. It's the most noise I have ever heard at any sporting event in my life. It was unbelievable noise. But it's almost like the players... Yes, emotion's important. Yes, passion's important. But you've got to channel, channel that passion. It. And it's what happens is the Argentinians, they just seem to get, they get too excited. They get too taken over by the passion. Yeah. And they don't play with that clinical edge that you need to play with. And that, unfortunately, is what happens to the Pumas. So, listen, I'd love to see them do well. But, I, I, I listen, I think the All Blacks win pretty comfortably tonight. Pretty comfortably tonight. Box by 15. Let us know your thoughts. 4001. Always a pleasure talking rugby with Alex. Half an hour remaining of the show. Stick with us. You're listening to The Grill. We're live from Kicker Sports Bar. Unbelievable goal! This is The Grill, live from Kicker Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, great atmosphere down here at Kicker Sports Bar. A lot of rugby fans making their way into the venue ahead of that 5 past 7 match between South Africa and Australia. And then immediately after that, 5 past 10 local time here in the UAE, it is Argentina against the All Blacks. We're seeing Nuno, 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 Nuno? Nuno Santos, if I can get that out. He is celebrating as if he's just won the Premier League <laughs> with Wolves because uh, Wolves Manchester City, English Premier League Asia Trophy. We've got a result. We have indeed, Chris. It's all over for Man City. Sack Guardiola now. Game <laughs> over. Please, um, please, Zach, please. <laughs> uh, no, you're absolutely right, Chris. So the game goalless after 90 minutes and actually stayed goalless for the first four kicks of the penalty shootout as well. As it is, no extra time, of course. These players don't need any more hard work in, in probably what was fairly stifling conditions. But after a penalty shootout, Wolves have won 3-2. The likes of Iki Gundogan, David Silva, Danilo, all taking and missing penalties for Manchester City. So it's Wolves that are victorious in what is essentially a not very important match where no team showed any evidence that they're even remotely closely ready for the Premier League yeah, season to start. Remember Guardiola made a big thing about winning the Community Shield last year and he so because he said they won the quadruple. People say, oh, congratulations on the triple. He go, no, no, the quadruple. So if he'd won this one, he would have said they're going for the quintuple Fair. this year. So we're lucky that's been taken was off the it, table. Was it not Jose Mourinho when he did the uh, Euro uh, Europa League and League Cup? That's it. Holding Tremble. up the three fingers to say the Community Shield as well. <laughs> Oh, I mean, nonsense. to be honest, as an Arsenal fan, I'll take any joy at the moment. So if they want to give us the Asian trophy, they're more than welcome to. And Next look year. at Pep. Next Interesting. Year. You watch Pep, though. You say it's a pre-season no, friendly. No, he's but furious. Yeah, he's right. face furious. up Pep there. 
not happy. No. Not happy that his side beaten on penalties, but Wolves then victorious in the not-so-important English Premier League Asia trophy. And what a job that man on the screen, Nuno Santos, what a job he has done as Wolves let, boss. And Wolves are definitely a team to watch next season again. Let, let me ask you, Chris, and I don't want to go into too much detail about it because I know we obviously spoke football for uh, length earlier. The Premier League top six next season, in order? Oh, in order. Uh, just because I can't bring myself to say it, Manchester City <laughs> to finish top. Liverpool second, although Liverpool might win it. Third, I'm going to go Manchester United. Ooh. I am. And that noise you can hear is Chris's credibility jerseys. flying off the airways right there. Fourth, <laughs> Spurs. Yeah, Spurs there. Fifth, Chelsea. I think, yeah, Chelsea struggle, I think. Sixth, Leicester. Mm. Interesting. I think Brandon, Rodgers. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal. I mean, right now, if things stand, I mean, your captain doesn't want anything part of your club. Yeah. Lorik Kachelny wants out. I just, it's so difficult. The top eight, I throw Wolves in there. I think Everton are going to be much Absolutely. better. Absolutely. People have forgotten about Everton. They keep doing some good recruiting. They were red hot at the end of last year. They, they absolutely were. played beautiful football at the end of last yeah. season. I feel like Marco yeah. Silva's ideas are now across. I completely yeah, agree. And I actually think Ralph Hussenhattel will do well with Southampton. I like their business. I like Che Adams, who they've brought in. 15 million from Birmingham. There's the new, the Malian international they've signed from Standard Liège, the wide player who, by all accounts, it looks as if he could be someone. I just think they've signed Danny Ings on a permanent basis as well. I'd watch out. I actually think Southampton might be the dark horses this year. I think they'll have a good season. I think you can't look. You, you, you literally, there's, there's the top two teams, which I think, actually, I disagree with you. I think will be Liverpool top, Manchester City second. I then just think you can throw a blanket over three through to nine. Well, that's exactly what I've done. Yeah. And you took the mick out of me. I've, that's what I've, <laughs> I've tried to put my team think, up there at third. I think there's, well, I, my, my fear, well, not my fear, because I'm genuinely not that bothered, but my feeling is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be gone by the end of October. So it depends if Manchester United recruit a manager in the correct light and, and actually shop around properly and get someone in that can drive the best out of what is an expensively assembled squad list you could get. That's the only way Manchester United are finishing third. But I think Chelsea will struggle. I think those young players, there's a lot invested in them and yeah. that is a big barrier to break down to make it in from the Chelsea youth team into the first team. Frank Lampard, and I wish him well apart from the fact that it's Chelsea but he's a very nice bloke I think he's carried himself as a, a wonderful professional throughout his whole career and I do wish him well in his managerial career but he didn't do great at Derby last year oh come on now championship playoff final but oh, that's not a, bad it's a heavily invested squad that he got there he got he had to pick a young players to do but tell me in any other situation does the does the bloke that finishes sixth in the championship Get a, Chelsea get a job, job at Chelsea in yeah. the Champions League. No, absolutely not. I think Arsenal are obviously in trouble. I think you get a team that hits the ground running. You're Brendan, right, maybe Southampton. Leicester, I think. I'll look yeah. at Leicester. Yeah. If they keep Harry, even if they lose Harry Maguire, I know some suggestion Lewis Dunk's been lined up as his replacement, but I like the look of that Leicester City team. I think Wilfred Ndidi is underrated. I think Wilfred Ndidi is good enough for a top-four team in the Premier League. Mm. And then further up the pitch, you've got Jamie Vardy. Who if he's had a good pre-season and is fit, they've added Ayozo Perez, oh. who I think is a fine Premier League footballer. The movement and the pace going through that team yeah. up top with Vardy and Perez, I think yeah. is terrifying. They'll mm. cause no end of trouble. And Brendan, despite the way that, and I'd be interested to know Alex's view, despite the way he's kind of a bit of a laughing stock for how he carried himself he's a great manager, in certain Brendan. ways, he is a top, top manager. And I think they will be, I think they'll finish above Spurs, I have to say. I think Leicester finishing above I think, Spurs? I think Leicester oh. could finish fourth or third, I really do. Listen, I th listen, Brendan Rodgers, very interesting guy. He splits Liverpool fans. Some Liverpool fans still love him. Some Liverpool fans always hated him. But uh, And listen, I think uh, he almost did it last year for us. He almost, without that wonder goal, you know, Leicester really tried hard they that were game. Good. They and were that would have been great good. for Rodgers. To Rodgers, if he'd beaten City or drawn with City and Liverpool had gone on, he would have said, you know, all Liverpool fans would have said, well, there you go, Brendan, you finally won the Premier League yeah. for us. Thank you very much. So, listen, he had an interesting, he, he lost it. There was a year that he lost it at Liverpool. He got it back. And listen, he left with his head held high. He did very well at Celtic. I think a lot of people would feel he left Celtic too early. Really. I think, you know, I mean, and is Leicester really the best team for him to come back into? But the side that I want to mention is Chelsea, because I agree with you 100%. I think Chelsea will will really struggle. I think they'll, I think, you know, without Eden Hazard, you take him out of that team. He was such a brilliant, yeah. brilliant player who lifted that side again and again and again. I think there's a lot of pressure on Lampard and Chelsea fans. I mean, Chelsea fans are unbelievable. Remember that guy last year, we, you guys 
played the video or whatever, this guy whinging and whining about Chelsea. I mean, and I, I listed on Twitter, they'd won like nine trophies in the yeah. last four years <laughs> when Liverpool had won one. And this guy's going berserk. And, saying, <laughs> get, and he's listing the players and saying, get out of my club, get out of my club. It's like, who are you? You're just some stupid fan, you know, talking about guys who Chelsea who work really hard like any other footballers do. So I think they're a really tough club, Chelsea. I think their fans are really unforgiving. I don't think their fans are that particularly loyal. Um, and I think they're going to really get on Lampard's back and rip him to shreds. I think people, what people have underestimated is that Frank Lampard's stock was, was obviously through the roof when he left Chelsea. That year at Man City did him no favours with Chelsea no fear. fans. People forget that move, a year or whatever, whatever it was, four months, months on loan. Was it that it was? Yeah. But it was coming back from the US, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that no, he never went. Did he move to the US, Frank? He never went to the US. No, Stephen he didn't. Gerrard. Sorry, no, I'm confusing it, Stephen Gerrard. The, that year that he spent there, that short period of time, really saw his stock plummet with a lot of Chelsea fans. You're absolutely right. They're very, very fickle bunch, Chelsea. Absolutely. They're not used to having to show loyalty. Therefore, they know. Yeah. They've manoeuvred a manager out this summer, make no mistake. Mauricio Sarri did an excellent job with one outfield signing to try and embed his new philosophy on the side that had been notoriously very, very defensive, very counter-attacking, yeah. and got them into finishing third by winning. virtue of everybody else collapsing. Winning the said. Europa League. But winning the Europa League, being a penalty shootout, Cup final, yeah. a goalkeeper's temper tantrum away from winning the League Cup. He did an incredible job, and still Chelsea fans have that power to change a manager. And they minds. kicked him out. They kicked him out like he was finished last and got them relegated. You're it's unbelievable. Right. And he goes to coach Juventus, one of the greatest clubs on the yeah. earth, who have just signed one of the most exciting young players in Matthias Delight. So, yeah. you know, I just, I think Chelsea, I, it'll be interesting to see how they do this year. I'm looking forward to watching it all unfold. The new Premier League season, it does kick off Friday, August the 9th, Liverpool Norwich, first up. And, uh, well, we haven't even spoken about Graham Potter either. The new Brighton and Hove Albion boss, who I'm wishing well, of course, uh, in his debut season. I hope in the he's going to keep up the book clubs. I hope they continue. I, it'd be nice to see a poetry circle as oh, well. Oh, I see what you've I done with that. <laughs> he needs to weave his magic at Brighton before he can do anything else. <laughs> it'd be Alex. nice to see those things happening. It's great. I think he's a very interesting manager. And listen, I, I'm very. T I mean, it shows you the Premier League's so tough. It is so interesting tough, as well. Know? Nine British managers now in the Premier League with Steve yeah. Bruce's appointment. Frank Lampard at Chelsea and for whatever you want to say about it and I agree on paper perhaps doesn't make much sense but it's a young English manager getting a chance in the Premier League yeah it is I did, I did see a, a, a broadcaster of this region when Steve Bruce was announced saying it was about time that an English manager yeah. got a shot and you're thinking <laughs> <laughs> You've not really thought that one through, have you, uh, Richard, shall we say? Um, yeah, I've, don't worry, I've called Wise him. man, wise man. <laughs> Mr. Um, Keys. Indeed. Not the uh, most sensible. <laughs> a man, of course, not making a living in the country of his birth, so why he's got such a, 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 a stick on it for that is, uh, is beyond me. But yeah, you're right. Uh, listen, I'm, I, I genuinely wish Frank Lampard as a person very, very well indeed. I have a real bugbear for Chelsea Football Club in general, so I don't necessarily wish him well in this job. I just think it's probably come, and I think he would even admit it himself it's probably come a year maybe two years early in his development as a manager he made the very sensible decision of going into the lower leagues to hone his craft with young players to understand how to coach how to make better players because really nowadays they're managers yes but the very very best people in those dugouts are the coaches who yeah. make players better look at Jurgen Klopp you look at Liverpool's recruitment from the likes of Hull from the likes of Monaco and he brings players on Mario, uh, Maurizio Pochettino brings players on that is the the mark of a good manager yeah. Lampard has shown the ability to do that sure over a year but Chelsea is a big ask Sean of their best player their chief creator their chief goal scorer the fulcrum of almost every single attack that they have and he's not able to bring in any of his own players it's a big challenge for and him. this is the thing I think that if you look at the culture of a club if a club is working the players are getting better the players are improving so you look at a player like Andy Robinson he comes from Hull sure he had potential but what he's become at Liverpool now people call it talking about one of the best fullbacks in oh, Europe easily. and it's very you know just going back to rugby briefly this is the situation with the Wallabies and the Wallabies and in Super Rugby in Australia the players are getting worse whereas a player like Will Skelton he leaves he says yeah bye bye we don't need you at the Waratahs go he goes over to Saracens and now he's a superstar he's a lot fitter his attitude is yeah. better he's playing a lot better because he spent time in a better culture so this is this is the thing if players are getting better then you know the culture of that club the culture of that sport is working you're absolutely spot on Alex we're into the final 10 minutes when we come back keep your thoughts coming into us on 4001 nice to see Greer's on the text lines as well Greer you might just be our number one fan stay with us 
You're listening to The Grill, bringing you the biggest sports stories right now. On Dubai I 103.8. Coming to you live from Kicker Sports Bar. It is a wonderful little spot down here at Dubai Sports City. If you are ever in the vicinity, it is well worth popping in. 15 plus screens dotted across the venue. Great happy hour as well, three until seven. Drinks as little as 19 dirhams and 50 fills, which as a Scotsman, and I say this every week, that's blooming decent. Still too expensive for a Scotsman. No, come on now. <laughs> come on now. I can dip into my pocket and pay 19 dirhams 50. Wonderful little venue down here. The food is top-notch as well. So, as I say, if you've never been down to Kicker Sports Bar, make sure you add it to your to-do list and pop on down. We're into the closing stages of this afternoon's grill show. I want to just give you a quick update of the 148th Open Championship. The leader's still not out. They go out at 10-7. to 7. That will be Shane Lowry, the Irishman, and JB Holmes, the American. They're on eight under par. They are one shot clear of two men on seven under, Tommy Fleetwood and Lee Westwood. There's one of Alex's lot, Cameron Smith. He's at six under par. Ooh. Justin Harding, the South African, also at six under, as is Justin Rose. The men on the mission, or the men on the move, I should say, this Saturday afternoon thus far. Henrik Stenson, former Open winner back in 2016. He's two under through five to move on to five under. Overall, Webb Simpson, another major winner. He's two under for his round thus far. He's also moved on to five under. And uh, Byung-Han Ahn, the South Korean, He's three under today through just five holes. He's also moved on to five under par. Ernie Els, who had a wonderful start today, has no surprise he's gone backwards. I've cursed him, is what I've done, boys, because uh, he was at four under par. He was three under uh, for his round. He's back at one under now, one over for his round has Ernie Els. So he's having his problems out there. Netball World Cup ongoing. We know one of our semi-finalists, Alex. One of the finalists, yes, Australia pipping South Africa 55-53 in an absolutely thrilling, thrilling uh, match uh, over in Liverpool there in the World Cup netball. Uh, England playing New Zealand, another huge match between these two countries in another great sporting fixture. It starts, the ball up is in about eight minutes' time, the tip-off, so it'll be England versus New Zealand finding out who will go through to play Australia in what's going to be a huge semi-final, a huge final, of course, of the Netball World Cup. Indeed. What about the Tour de France? That is stage 14 today. Chris Froome, no, not there, the four-time winner, of course. He is, uh, well, nursing some injuries he picked up in the lead-up to the Tour de France. So, that's the understatement of the century, Chris. I think he broke his leg in about three places, about four ribs, crashing into a wall. And the funny part of that story was <laughs> Dave Brailsford announcing that he actually fell off his bike I'm sure this is okay for radio by doing a snot rocket. Yeah, as he, he did. Was I heard that. And I was just listening to the, the the manager saying that that is how it happened. And I thought, just just keep it quiet. Just say he fell off. Yeah. Just say it was a gust of wind. No one needs to go into that much no detail. No one needs to know he's trying to <laughs> blow his nose, and that leads to some awful injuries that have curtailed his Indeed. participation in the Tour de France. It's an interesting Tour de France. This it though. really is, Chris. You're absolutely right. I've been. It's it's not that there hasn't been any. There hasn't been much, should I say, explosive news coming from it. It's been very, very patient. I think what's been interesting, of course, Team Ineos, formerly Team Sky, led by Geraint Thomas, last year's champion. He also fell in the Tour de Suisse about six weeks yeah. out from the Tour de France. So there wasn't, there wasn't much hype, shall we say, about who a potential winner could be. And over the course of the Tour, we haven't had, as I say, many explosive moments. The most explosive, I think it was stage six. I watched it on my couch, absolutely fascinating. The missus wanted to watch the Stranger Things new series, and I said, absolutely not. We're She's a watch, woman with taste. We're going to watch this. And it was Julian Alaphilippe, along, along with Theodore Pino, who broke away on that stage. Ever since that point, we are potentially looking at a first French victor in the general classification since 1985. Yesterday's stage, stage 13, the time trial, saw Julian Alaphilippe, the man who won that breakaway, actually put further distance between him and Geraint Thomas. Yeah. Many, many people. This was a performance, let me tell you how surprising, that had people questioning whether or not, as they always do when anyone performs in the Tour de France, questioning what Julian Alaphilippe had giving him help. Of course, by that I mean if he was being administered anything between stages. That is not me saying that that is the case, of course, if any of the lawyers are listening. Yeah. That is just what people are saying because it was such a brilliant performance in the time trial. Moving on to today, this is the first of three 
massive, massive stages in the mountains. Let me tell you, I love this race. I, if anybody's ever listened to me talk about the Tour de France, it's one of my favorite things in sport. A, a, a race designed by a man who didn't just want a winner over 100 years ago, he just wanted one survivor. And that is how he created this race, and it has carried on. This year, this year the 106th edition, three and a half thousand kilometers spread across 21 stages over 23 days and you only get two days rest it's it is mental. nuts it today is. stage 14 110 kilometers up into the mountains and we're looking at a final finish above 2,000 meters and people wonder if Alaphilippe is going to hold on like I say we have not had a French winner in this race since 1985 since before I was even born <laughs> it's absolutely incredible Bernard Hinault the one that did it it was his yeah. fifth back in 1985 Today's stage at Tourmalet, finishing high up in the mountains. Alaphilippe is a good climber, make no mistake. Is he going to hold on? Tim Ineos, as we are, as we stand, we're about, let's say, 35 kilometers from the end. The guys have been in the saddle for about two, two and a half hours. We had a breakaway from the outset. 17 riders disappeared off into the distance. Over the course of the last hour, people have fallen off that group fallen back into the peloton people will think hang on a second what's a breakaway surely that's a worry for the for the yellow jersey don't panic the highest placed man in that breakaway of 17 at the beginning was ranked 25th over the course of the time the peloton has looked after its top 10 riders the biggest quality uh, biggest casualty is adam yates the british rider looked after by his brother they've tried to haul him back into the peloton that's been the problem over the last say half an hour the gap between the main group of riders, which includes Garayan Thomas, which includes Alaphilippe, is down to about a minute. At one point, it was three minutes. So they are working their way. The group of 17 is now three. There's a middle group of five in, the, uh, in between the two. And then there's a whole bunch dropped off the back, about 10 riders who have been dropped by the peloton. It's fascinating to watch, Chris. Honestly, you see in the mountains, the gap between the, uh, the yellow jersey at the moment is a minute and 26. That doesn't mm. sound like a lot, but in the mountains, if you can put your foot down, yeah. it works both ways. Listen, if Geraint Thomas sits on the top of the peloton with his team, as they are currently doing, around about two hours from the end, he can make a spring, and we can see this tour finish today. That's what climbing can do in the yeah, Tour de France, right. especially at this stage. Alaphilippe is in there, in the group. It's perfectly, perfectly poised. Anybody who wants to try and understand why team cycling like this is so fascinating, please try and find a TV and watch the next two hours, because it is poised brilliantly yeah i cannot wait i'm going to be doing just that the big screens down here sport a plenty for us to enjoy over the course of your saturday evening the rugby world championships the closing stages of that stage 14 the open championship ongoing as well and you'll also find a pre-season friendly or two as well that is it for us this saturday afternoon alex moon big thanks to you my man you're off home to watch your rugby Right, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. Box oh. versus Wallaby, then the All Blacks. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Alex. Bless you, my man. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Matthew Fortune, big thanks to you, my man. Thank you, Chris. Sport of choice over the course of the next couple of hours. Tour de France without yeah. any shadow of a doubt. I thought you'd say that. So we've got the <laughs> rugby, the Tour de France, and because Robbie Greenfield's not here, I'll say it for him. I'm off to watch the golf oh. from all of us here. What were you going to say? I was just going to say I'm going to beat you at pool as well between times. Well, that <laughs> might happen as well. That might just happen. I'm on a woeful run. I lost my last six games in the game of pool. But anyway, enough of me. That is it for us tonight. A big thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in. Big thanks to Benji. Big thanks to all the team for keeping us on the airwaves. And, of course, a big thanks to you guys out there. I am back on your airwaves, 5 o'clock tomorrow, off script with Sono Rupani. Until then, good night. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.